0: Hello and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Stephanie Davies-Ray, who is a British-based blogger, I suppose you could say, and advocate for children's education and parenting and children's mental Health. Several years ago, she started a website called Transgender Trend, where she tried to inject facts and skepticism into the then burgeoning trans child phenomenon. That was five, seven years ago. And over the course of these last five years, a lot of things have changed, especially in this last month. There was a court case that went through in Britain that, according to Stephanie, has dramatically changed changed the landscape in how we conceive of and treat gender dysphoric youth. In this conversation, we talk about the move in our contemporary language from sex to gender and how that break from reality has caused a cascade of interesting phenomena or confusion downstream and how that has informed the way in which we have medicalized children who exhibit gender nonconformity or who break from gender or sex stereotypes. This is rather slightly longer conversation than normal, but it is very deep in the ways in which we treat these topics. So without further ado, here is Stephanie Davies Array. You run transgender trend, which is a pretty yeah. active, um, portal. Um, that I, is it fair to say is skeptical of, the trans movement and what aspects of the trans movement? I guess we have to define the trans movement um, in order to uh, define uh, what I, we do.
1: Yeah, I, I, call, I call it, you know, challenging the trans narrative, um, bec- just because there has been a very strong story created very cleverly, and I challenge it, and the whole, all of it, all of it, everything. Um, but particularly because my area is communication, that's what I, I teach communication skills. And I, I work with teachers and I work with parents and I've worked in schools with children. And so what, how how we communicate, what our story is, what words we use, language is really, really critical for me. And particularly when it comes to children and recognising what messages we're sending to children, and not just little children. I mean, this generation of children that are growing up in this culture, um, what messages are they getting from their culture? Um, and some messages are direct, and some messages are hidden, and some messages are visual. And you know, so, so all the different messages children get and, and as they grow up in this culture and how that Impacts their understanding of themselves and of the world, and so the language that's used in to promote uh, this a, a sort of new reality is 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 very important how it's done, and and I say and particularly for children because children are children and understand different things from. The language that we use and and the messages that we send to them and that's why we distinguish children from adults we talk to children differently because we understand that they don't have the cognitive abilities to um, analyze uh, information as adults do Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) you said it's a new reality what makes it a reality or what are the components of it that are different from the old reality
1: when I say reality, I'm putting that in 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 sort of square <laughs> scare quotes, because it's it's what it's actually done. What the language has done is take us from reality into fantasy, and there are certain distances. I think you can go. You can go into imagination. You can go into fantasy and thought and belief and those areas and we understand so you can say for example um if a little boy is wearing a dress you can say oh he's a girl or or he can say i'm a girl and everybody understands it on a level of fantasy and you don't take that step across from fantasy into reality we all know it's not true and yet that's what that's what the language has done in this movement. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean I say I, I, I say it's a, a new reality, but in fact it's it's a new unreality that the language is creating, and that throws into question everything that we know that is objectively real in, that exists objectively in the physical world. It, it throws everything into question what is real mm-hmm. and, and what is not.
0: So the process of taking fantasy seriously, uh, let's say in one area, leads to the unraveling of our connection to reality. And, and
1: well, I think once you say um, a teapot is a table, uh, you, anything, you can take any two objects, any two things. And once you say one is literally the other, then you've destroyed any reality of that objective thing in the world and therefore you if that rule applies which is a new rule it applies to everything it has to it can't just be about teapots and tables it's got to be it's got to cover every every, um, objective um, thing in the world it you know rules apply to apply across the board and we have those rules and there's one that's really been broken here and therefore, you have to look at, you know, it, what's up for grabs next? I mean, anything can be anything.
0: Well, with the case of the, what, what you've called the trans narrative, what they've done is injected uh, another category uh, called gender that is distinct from sex that allows them or affords them to speak about something that's not biologically mm. based it's based on, uh, from what I've gathered, uh, a belief, uh, a network of feelings. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they even use the word soul or uh, mm-hmm. they use the mind. Uh, they, they use a network of, of language that is referring not to physical reality. It's referring to something even more real than physical yeah. reality, which is cultural reality. Um, so it affords them. It seems to be it, uh, that the concept of gender as distinct from sex affords this. This narrative or this ideology or this belief system to uh, kind of cling to some sort of stability uh, until you actually look at what it's based on, which is self-assertion.
1: Well, that's part. That's part of what I mean about the language. That word "gender" is 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 very clever because gender is an idea. It's it's well, people use gender to mean, mean different things. That's one one thing. It's it's sort of undefinable. Well, you know, when I use gender, I tend to mean um, stereotypes. You know, expectations of the sexes. Um, but other people and, and how it's being used now is. Um, to mean boys and girls, men and women, we're genders, we're not sexes. I think most people will use the word social construct when it comes to gender. It's a sort of socially constructed, but whether you're saying boys and girls are literally socially constructed, and females are literally socially constructed, um, so that's where you get into um, the Uh, importance of distinction between sex and gender because you're taking something that's physically real, biologically real, objectively real in the world, a male person or a female person, and you're changing them into a a concept or an idea, um, which is really what gender is.
0: Mm. So
1: you're taking the concrete and you're turning it into the abstract so a woman becomes an abstract thought and with we, a disembodied now a woman is actually a living breathing flesh and blood human being who is female that's what a woman is so to to change that the meaning of that word and say that a woman is a gender is saying that a woman is an abstract idea which is indefinable and anybody can use that idea, their own idea of woman, you know, whatever my idea of trans is, that's what a trans is. You know, a, my idea of woman is a woman. So it becomes a completely subjective and meaningless term in the realm of ideas. And it's disembodied. So it's a completely disassociated. So I think the, the whole movement is, you know, it's a dehumanising movement because it takes what's rooted in our own bodies. It's the most fundamental aspect of being human. Are you the male sex or are you the female sex? You're one one of the other. And it it takes that and makes it all into a sort of subjective idea that anybody can interpret in their own particular way and say, because I think that's what a woman is, that's what a woman is.
0: So when did you become aware of this uh, particular trans narrative, as you call it? When did that come onto your radar? Uh,
1: It was about, uh, probably about seven years ago. So I started Transgender Trend in in 2015. And it was the previous two years, I'd started to do a lot of research because I'd started to see a lot of uh, things in the media. And immediately, I, I mean, I was immediately... Suspicious, you know, I, I, you know, it's language again, like what's, this is, this is new. And um, there were things coming up like the word cis. And to me, it was very clear that if you, if you define me as a cis woman, you are saying that I am a gender identity, that I, I have a gender identity and my gender identity is cis and cis but you know, you are you are pulling me into your new narrative by calling me cis, and I reject that. I guess, you know, and and so immediately, uh, I, I think just on on the level of words and language, I could see what was happening, the manipulation of it. But also because I was, uh, you know, I've worked with uh, parents and teachers for well, over twenty years, and I started to see, what got me really galvanised was seeing what was happening with children. So the more and more media stories about happy transing kids and their supportive parents. And it was, it was celebration. It was no questioning, no, no challenging of that narrative. So I, I wrote a piece and it was called The Transgender Experiment on Kids and it was published in a, in a in a small publication called the Welsh Arts the Wales Arts Review uh in 2015 they were very good at that they they accepted anything i wrote because <laughs> even then a lot of people were not publishing anything from feminists or you know to, to, to that, that were challenging this so there was fear even back then but but Wales Arts Review were great they just published everything i wrote and and i published this piece and i got a huge reaction to it and people saying thank you thank you for writing in fact fourth wave now you do you know fourth wave now in, in america she contacted me because she read that article and she could not believe that she'd read you know it's so rare to see anything and, um mm. and then I wrote, because I at that time, I was writing a parenting blog, a weekly parenting blog, a sort of you know advice it's a bit funny, but it was you know it was it was about communication it was about communication skills talking to kids and and I wrote my first piece on that blog, and that was. That was called "Is My Child Transgender?" and it came up. Actually, I, I really remember it. It was a piece in the Huffington Post about a, the latest piece that I'd read, and I started to think this is really getting. You know, these articles about trans kids are coming out so much. So I wrote about it, and then I got this huge response from parents. A lot of them secret, you know, secretly thanking me, and I realized that there was a huge um, fear on parents about what was happening but nobody felt that, that they could speak about it because it, it would make them a bigot. So I thought at that point um, that I I sort of had a duty and I, lo- I looked around other parenting websites and um, parenting advice, you know, there's lots of them and nobody was talking about this subject which to me was the biggest thing because I've heard everything from parents, and I've got four kids of my own who are in their 20s now, but I've heard every single story you can think of of what kids do and what kids say and the problems and really serious stuff. And I'd never heard of anything like this. And, And normally when there's something new, people are talking about it and discussing it and debating it and saying what's going on, and that wasn't happening. And it wasn't happening on any other website. Nobody was met. It's like the elephant in the room, the trans kid. We don't go there. We just... Hmm. So I felt I had a responsibility to, you know, um, uh, do something. I felt I could not just sit back and and let that continue. And I noticed in the press stories that the... um, what the parents were doing was going, w- w- what, you know. Little boy would say, "I'm a girl," and the parents were going online to look for advice, and they were finding websites like Mermaids, and and um, all of the advice was uh, sort of propaganda. It was all, you know, affirm your daughter, she, you know, and and all of that. So to pin that,
0: to pin that down. You said propaganda, but basically with the pattern that I'm uh, hearing you describe is a, a media, a, an entire media apparatus all coming down on one side of this issue, which is the affirmative. And Just, no yeah. skepticism. Um, yep. and therefore uh, not a lot of, I guess, deeper uh, consideration of what was actually going on. So not a lot of investigation. Well, you know, come
1: on, you're, yeah, you're saying boys are girls. You're saying girls are boys. Are we going to have no debate about that? Who's decided that? You know what? You know, that's that's a huge thing to say. Okay. So why isn't anybody questioning it in the press in these articles? It was all cheerleading, and I thought. Um, so I set up Transgender Trend, thinking parents need a good resource. You know, all the information, like evidence-based, uh, factual, research-based evidence, in one place where they could access uh, facts rather than rather than I said propaganda. I, I think I, I mean ideology. It was it's an ideological approach that that um, rather than anything based in evidence or science or or clinical um, practice. It's, so. So that's one reason. I thought parents need a resource that would give them the real information.
0: Things are kind of changing, but in 2015, mermaids was ascendant. Uh, what you've called the transgender ideology was uh, completely forwarded across the media. Uh, it was. Uh, it, it still is coming into the schools. The UK was a little bit, I think, ahead of America in implementing gender ideology in schools if if i'm correct i might not be correct on that
1: 2015 was the is a pivotal year really um it's when stonewall added the T. and for me in the uk i think there were two there was a there was a at the end of 2014 a program went out on cbbc channel which is a Uh, BBC Channel for six to 12-year-olds. It was called I Am Leo, and it was about a trans boy who was a boy because it was a girl, but she loved playing football and skateboarding and stuff like that. And they had this whole thing about pink and blue brains, and they had Polly Carmichael from the Tavistock on selling puberty blockers as a pause button. Hmm. So that programme was sold to six to 12-year-olds at the end, I think it was November 2014 that was first broadcast. Then there was a program on a on a daytime show called Victoria Derbyshire, who followed two little boys who loved wearing dresses. So they were Je- Jessica and Lily, I think. And the whole thing was stereotypes, just absolute, you know, and and all the adults taking these children very seriously. These little boys saying they were girls, and then. I think for me, what the big one was was um, do you know Louis Theroux? He's a documentary maker. So, this is popular TV. Um, he goes around and he talks to different people. And this was an episode called Louis Theroux Transgender Kids. And so, the BBC had done children's TV, daytime TV, and primetime TV within a few months. Uh, getting massive audiences; they, these were big shows. Were massive audiences for each one. And that year, the Louis Theroux documentary I knew would change everything. That was the tipping point for me. That it had been—you know—this story had been in a lot of the media, but once it got to a program like that, that was it. It was mainstream, and that was the year. In fact, it—it it was in it was early April. Louis Theroux was broadcast that year 2000 because the Tavistock clinic um gathered the 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 data for the referral figures from April to April and that so from April 2015 to April 2016 was the massive 104 percent increase in referrals so that was you know unheard of um
0: and so Tavistock I, I, is just to clarify to the audience is the number one premier gender clinic so called in the it's, UK.
1: It's the only one for children and adolescents they've okay, got okay. they've got a satellite clinic in Leeds but basically the Tavistock clinic in London is for England and Wales. So Scotland okay. have got their separate one.
0: It seems like you could read that in two ways, uh, that the media invented this category of trans kids, and then all of a sudden there was a bunch that were there, or the media brought awareness of this condition, and then people felt uh, able— uh, the kids were felt able, kids started to be taken seriously, this condition was taken seriously, whereas before it was kind of laughed off. You, you can read that in two ways, I'm saying. Um, you can read it as as it, uh, enabling the condition or uh, allowing the condition to actually be treated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, so, that's kind of the...
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't say the media created it, but uh, but you know, I think there was a lot of... There's been a, a sort of global trans rights movement, uh, uh, where it's been created. Uh, a lot of work going on behind the scenes with policymakers, with the BBC, with all of the media channels from trans activist groups. I think um, the media has certainly um, d- played a big part in promoting it. Um, but it's th- the way that they've done so has not been in a way where children can feel or parents can feel, oh, maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe we should explore this. Or it's been a sell, a really hard sell. Girls are boys, boys are girls, and we must affirm them. The, the reality is you've got children with gender dysphoria That is the reality. You can say that child or, you know, whatever word you want to use, really, with gender confusion or gender issues or problems, we we call it gender dysphoria. So there's a child with gender dysphoria. Now, Louis Theroux's programme wasn't called Kids with Gender Dysphoria. It was called Transgender Kids. So immediately you're saying that any child that and it's not uncommon, you know, it's 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 quite Genuine gender dysphoria, I think, is very rare. But it's not uncommon for children to identify themselves as the opposite sex. And that can be a result of such a huge range. So it could be sexual abuse. It could be uh, um, family dynamics where, or you know, one parent actually has a boy but really wants a girl. It could be all sorts of things in the family background. It could all the way. To just a normal childhood base, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. You know, there may be a big problem behind it. There may be nothing at all, and it, and it. And so, every single case, I think you have to view it as that's an individual human being and, and that child might be expressing that for a range of different reasons we know it's fairly it's fairly common especially in boys to to go through that phase and grow up to be gay i mean that's it is the most mm-hmm. but so the and story then we have a whole
0: category of tomboy that's yeah there is old of, of and, young females being very masculine in there
1: yeah. oh. and, and you can challenge that and say well you know i was actually i when i was a child i had such contempt for anything that was fake anything to, feminine i mean it's more fun to climb trees and play football than play with dolls it's it's more, you know you want adventure so you 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 call a girl a tomboy she's not she's a girl doing mm. what her interests are so what i'm saying is i think it's a responsible thing by the media to say some children have gender dysphoria if you're feeling like this, here's where you can go to get help. Here's help for the parents. But we're not. We're saying these children are transgender. And what transgender means is that this girl is literally a boy. If you say the way that that word is, I think it's a meaningless word. It doesn't mean anything. Um, can't be defined. It it, com- it encompasses so much. But the word itself is used to change reality that's i think the function of the word transgender so you say there's a li- the reality is there's a little boy with gender dysphoria you say he's transgender he becomes a transgender girl so you've changed his sex just through the use of the word transgender so i think so that's why i say hmm. no it is it's it, it's it's propaganda or it's ideology it is not uh, informative and helpful broadcasting where children might feel, oh, I feel like that, and now I know where I can get help.
0: Mm-hmm. The uh, It seems that the trans label, just to try to restate what you're saying, the trans label encompasses all these other all these conditions uh, infinite amount of conditions or at least like five or six different conditions from gender dysphoria which is rooted in the body or a Mm -hmm. persistent uh, discomfort with the physical body all the way up to just wanting to play around with social roles Mm -hmm. or uh, you know a boy likes to have like pink nail polish on on sunday so you know there's this huge spectrum the outcomes of that once you sift them through this trans label which is uh, backed up by this. And uh, affirmative push is everything from medicalization to, I guess, social transition or uh, facilitating the child, uh, changing their name and going along with the child all the way up into uh, redesigning their body around this ideal of the feminine or ideal of the masculine. Or in in between somewhere is this pause button that you can use, uh, so-called of uh, the puberty blocker. and and i so, use an asterisk around a pause button there
1: what's really interesting here for me is that there's a huge movement and the gender recognition act which the campaign groups were pushing for a system of self id which means that anybody anybody can say i'm a man or i'm a woman and basically get a certificate this 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 may, this kills me uh, they can actually get their birth certificate changed. So, you are falsifying a legal identity document. The most important one, you were born male, but your birth certificate says you, that you are literally born female. I mean, you cannot get much more of a lie in, in official identity documents. Nobody else has that right. Nobody has the right to falsify documents and tell. A lie, you know. You weren't born female, but it's it's
0: yeah. You can't change the date, so time time is still stable right now, right?
1: Yeah, can't change your age on your birth certificate, but you can change your sex. But your sex, yeah. And again, the word gender, it's a gender recognition app. But you haven't got gender on your birth certificate. You've got sex, and you change it.
0: The question (laughs) that I have is, is there an asterisk or like some sort of notification that this person was actually born male? Because it's creating a cascade of bad data down the road medical data death uh, data making census data uh, corrupted it's corrupting a whole bunch of data i just yeah. don't know why the government is okay with that uh that's yeah because you ca-
1: because you can't tell the difference between men and women anymore that's that's what it does you can't there's no way of making any distinction between what a man is and what a woman is there's nothing left so all the, all the data and again that's that's going to affect women
0: Crime statistics, uh, jailing sports. The category of woman is eroded in certain concrete ways when this gender ideology or this gender ambiguity uh, comes over the culture. Uh, Women's sports are the ones who are affected. Women's prisons or women in prison are negatively impacted. There's a number of different impacts that definitely go toward eroding um, certain affordances of safety uh, and uh, I guess maybe even health care for women uh, Mm -hmm. when this is eroded Uh, uh, yes
1: and and it destroys the sort of social contract uh, contract we have so if if you take that that everyone's favorite subject toilets bathrooms um everybody knows that we separate those kind of facilities for for privacy so the message is and again the message to everybody is boundaries you know boundaries are important privacy is important and so we create this boundary between the sexes where the where the two sexes are you know in in, in vulnerable positions getting undressed you doing intimate you know, functions and everybody knows what the boundary is nobody has to say it or question it and it means that you don't even have to have any legal policy here it's like public policy buildings policies that if Somebody who is clearly a man goes into the woman's toilet. Everybody knows they have the right. It's a social, yeah, it's it's a, you know social shared knowledge. We all know, and we all are able to challenge that man and say, "This is the ladies; you can't go in." That social contract has already been destroyed, and that and that contract is is part of how society protects um, women from uh, predators. It's really important that everybody has the confidence to be able to challenge a man who's going into women's private facilities, mm. I, I think that's gone already. I think, I think uh, people would not dare to do that now, because all he has to do is say, I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. And so that's mm. a sort of, you know, it's a free pass for anyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The recent case of Kira Bell, there's other things that have changed the landscape. Yeah. And it, it seems, or the story could be made, or a case could be made, that the Kira Bell case, which just went through or, or achieved mm-hmm. some sort of uh, resolution a couple weeks ago, uh, that is a marker of uh, a change in the conversation. Uh, could, is that correct? And could you explain why?
1: It's massive. You know, I feel my job is done. <laughs> I feel okay. like uh, so th- you know for, when I start you, this
0: is a b- very big deal,
1: massive. I just you know, when I started, so let me just talk about puberty blockers. Puberty okay. blockers create the social transition of little children. That's that's what puberty blockers do. And what the campaign groups, the big, you know, I was talking about the campaign for self-ID, which means a woman has a penis and testicles. So, you know, it's it's literally, you can say you're a man or a woman, no matter what your biology is. No medication, no need for any hormones, no need to change anything. Keep your beard, anything, you know. Um, you can just say, I'm a woman and, and you must be affirmed as a woman. So the same campaign groups, when it comes to children, have campaigned aggressively for earlier and earlier medical intervention for children. So, But, you know, think, hang on a minute, if a girl can have a penis, why does a boy need puberty blockers? Or, you know, we're saying one thing about adults and we're saying completely different thing about children. And at the Tavistock in London, it was down to, um, I think it was Gyres and Mermaids, who were the two... Uh, uh, sort of campaign groups who had the mo- put the most pressure on the Tavistock and gyres, in fact, on the NHS. And they were the ones, and the parents who were part of, particularly Mermaids, were the ones that were pressuring the Tavistock to reduce the age. Of puberty blockers, so that's why in 2000, were
0: they campaigning? Well,
1: for? they wanted it down to age 12. So, before 2011, children were given puberty blockers at age 16, and it was seen as uh, I think I mean, the Tavistock is a sort of therapeutic service, it, it's counseling and therapy, and um. This is prescribing and prescribing really, really, although they send them off to the endocrinology clinic, they they, they become a sort of medical prescribing service instead in this one area. But it was age 16 and it was for the children who, because we know that most pre-pubertal children with gender dysphoria, around 80%, uh, you know, desist at some point during adolescence the ones who are insistent persistent and cons- consistent which is supposed to be the test of true trans and i think that just describes a child every <laughs> child i've known um,
0: any uh, child worth worth their salt well at
1: absolutely and <laughs> actually in particular autistic children would go to mm. the extreme in that mm-hmm. yeah um, but Which those, actually, th-
0: that that inside yeah, it, that insight or that observation actually does the, translate. The into,
1: referrals reflect that. But yeah. so, so these children who were really persistent and and didn't change, like they got to the age of sixteen. If that if if like a boy still felt I, I I I you know I'd be happier living as a woman. Puberty blockers were given at age sixteen. Now puberty had already started. Already got a bit of the way through. So the campaign and the push was to get the age down to age 12 before the secondary sexual characteristics had started developing. So it's all cosmetic. The whole reason for this is cosmetic. You cannot change sex. You cannot go through the opposite-sex puberty. These things are impossible. It's only a cosmetic appearance of being looking more... Your designer body It's like... In the school's guidance, they're always talking about, oh, you can, you know, social transition, you can change your clothes. Oh, you might want medical transition so you can get a designer body. It's like the body is the same, on exactly treated as if it's exactly the same level as the clothes, the outfit you choose to wear. Just Mm -hmm. medically alter it, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know. Um, So they got that and then they actually got it down as they were going through the trial in the first couple of years they decided to drop it to tanner stage two of puberty, which is really when puberty first starts becoming visible so breast buds for girls a bit of pubic hair you know that that sort of age puberty just started um and so the age uh, then could be around 10 you know when children uh, start puberty so the age within a couple of years then the age was dropped from 16 to 10 so that was the result of all of the um sort of campaigning and, and, and pressurizing by the by the lobby groups and what they created with that was uh a what they created was social transition of little children so you can now socially try, you know you can say my four-year-old boy is a girl and get all the teachers his peer group everybody who knows him clinicians professionals trusted all the trusted adults in his life to reinforce his beliefs every day because that's what affirmation is it isn't affirmation of a child's gender identity that's not how a child understands it a child understands it as he is being affirmed as a girl literally a girl and i think that's that's how it's intended because that's the belief um so, the, when we. When the affirmation
0: we aff- reinforces the assertion and then turns it into a reality. The, the, well, the, the child's uh, construct of identity uh, is molded and shaped and based on that. So, that becomes a, f- a foundational reality, too.
1: A four year old child is not thinking, you know, I have the right to be affirmed in my identity. They do not take these abstract. Con- no, I, th- th- this adult's telling me I'm a girl. That's the child's world. You know, mum is saying I'm a girl. All the teachers are saying I'm a girl. And so that belief, it's a belief of the child. And it may be a very genuinely held belief. I'm, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. And all the trusted adults in his life are saying, yes, you are. And so every single day that is being uh, reinforced. And then the next logical step is puberty blockers. It's the only logical step because... The when that child hits puberty, and I wonder how much we are creating the sort of suicidal ideation in children, because when the child hits puberty, that's when reality hits. You know, with kids, you can get away with this. You can say it doesn't. What, what does it matter? Boys and girls, they kind of look the same, don't they? But you know, if boys got long hair or girls got short hair. You, you know, you can you can not be able to tell the difference between little children whether they're boys or girls. So it works. It's sort of, you know, it's not really noticeable. A lot of the school's guidance says, uh, Yeah, I notice this. In fact, every single bit of school's guidance always gives this suggestion that you might think it's a good idea to go through your transition in the move from primary school to secondary school. So nobody knows you've got a trans history. And what that means is you, a boy, will start secondary school in stealth as a girl. Which means he's going into the toilets and the changing rooms of the girls and the girls don't know it. So so they are their boundaries are being violated without their consent or knowledge, or they, they might know really, but nobody's saying it. But that this is the whole reason for transitioning children from a very young age. The child becomes absolutely convinced, because all the adults are to, hits puberty and suddenly, oh I'm you know, getting broad shot you know my body is developing in, in as a boy when I'm a girl and and all the other girls are developing in a completely different way so reality hits and you have to be able to do something about that distressing reality because what's the answer now after a child after a few years you know every 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 day being told you'll want the other sex It's like, how can a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old say, oh, no, that was wrong, particularly as everybody else is invested in it, everybody else has, you know, you feel stupid, and, and as a child in particular how mm. can you say actually I don't think I am and make idiots of everybody so yeah you're... I mean
0: the baseline of puberty is it's a pretty awful time for everybody yeah. You add this entire yeah. level of disappointment yeah. of uh, of lo- adults lying to you and mm. cognitive dissonance mm. across the board uh, on top of that puberty which is already pretty drastic it, I guess it it's only humane at that point to pause puberty or to go along yeah. and, and medicalize e- this entire each situation
1: stage of this process creates the next one so we, we okay. just heard from the from the high court that they have said clearly from the evidence uh, most children who take puberty blockers then go on to take cross-sex hormones so it's not a, it's, it's not a distinct treatment in itself it is a first step in a process of of medical transition. But it's not the first step. The first step is affirmation. Affirmation and social transition leads inevitably to the puberty blockers, because, because as you say, how could you be so cruel as to let this little girl grow an Adam's apple and, and broad shoulders? How can you be so cruel? You have to give that child puberty blockers. So, and, so affirmation yeah. is the first step of full medical transition for children.
0: It's a huge discussion, but before affirmation... Affirmation is not the first step. The first step is uh, thinking that gender precedes or supersedes sex. I it, mean, it's the, an ideological... The first thing is this ideological turn that then goes through and affects and shapes an entire generation uh, I think. Of the first, it, it yeah, I think, it think the first
1: step bodies. is gender stereotypes. I think the first point, I, I, and um we're talking you know we were talking before about the position of men and women and, and the gains that women have made but alongside the gains that women have made we've also gone really backwards in so many ways and one of them uh, is things like like online porn and objectification and 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 the ridiculous sort of uh standards of idealized sexiness and beauty that women are held to today with all, you know with all sorts of i don't know the, the, the internet technologies i mean social media as well actually constantly being judged but also childhood culture uh, over the last actually as my kids were growing up certainly over the last decade has become such extreme gender stereotypes everything became pink and blue highly stylized highly extremely gender gender stereotypes and that goes through children's toys books clothes shoes absolutely all products for children and that so that is a really recent thing so I think that's really contributed and in my work um, I so this, this is my other area of expertise is parenting culture uh, parenting advice the parenting advice industry massive um, and and this has been going on over the same period is that children are seen, uh it's become very child centered and the child is seen uh to be born fully formed fully whole uh with a fully intact self and the parents job is to listen and to facilitate the expression of that fully formed self and and it's not true because your self uh, my, my my you know my self is still being built thank you very much you know you you <laughs> you're, you do not reach a point where you fully know yourself. You don't have this, you know. You, you you something some new experience happens to you in life, and you realize you're not the person that you thought you were. You
0: know,
1: mm-hmm. we we and are, it's usually
0: it's usually a point of resistance between your will and a greater will or or fate yeah. or something like that. And or you uh, think
1: yeah, you think you know what you would do in a situation. And then you do the opposite and you're shocked because you couldn't think you were that kind of person. Our sense of self is always shifting and changing according to influence in the environment and particularly when you're a child. So there's no such thing as, as child born with a fully formed sense of self. But you can see where this fits in. I think there's two things come together here with the creation of the trans child, or as Heather Brunskill-Evans would say, the invention of the transgender child, and I think she's absolutely right. You have to have fertile ground. If if there's a new idea coming in, you have to have a fertile ground if it's going to grow. I I think you have to have a lot of of money as well, to be honest, which they've had, um, or do have, the campaign groups, but... Um, The fertile ground, I think, has been this um, change in childhood culture to the extreme gender stereotypes, and that sort of conditions us all. It conditions parents as well as children. You sort of think, oh, that's, you know, perhaps I've got a son and a daughter. Well, actually, the pink one, it's really pretty. You're sort of drawn to the easy way, actually, in in any choice you make. You Mm -hmm. don't do the way that you have to think a bit more. You just think, oh, that's really pretty. Oh, and that's for him. That one's blue. You know that's these, and and it kind of conditions us as well. You start to accept it as normal that girls will, of course, want to wear pretty flimsy sandals that will break, and 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 boys will want to wear tough shoes that they can climb over rocks in. So then you you start to sort of believe a girl is a pretty delicate thing, and a boy is a tough, you know, aggressive thing. And
0: Snakes and snails and puppy put, dog tails. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And you put that together with the child is born with a fully formed sense of self. And that's where we get he knows who he is. He knows who he is. And I just want him to be happy because if he, if he breaks the stereotype and he's, in, he's wearing dresses and um, he's saying, I'm a girl, then the parent must believe him because. Because the child knows who he is. He's come out fully formed. You know, It, it so those two things go together. And the, and the parent thinks, well, a girl is one of these pretty pink creatures who loves princesses. Yeah. And he knows who he is. So she is a girl. You know, you, you, those two things go
0: I, together. I just want to add that the parenting uh, parenting in action under that rubric is, the, is to avoid any resistance or challenge of the child. You don't add resistance to their identity when in fact, in, uh, you know, and, and these are based on aphorisms that date back millennia, personal growth doesn't happen outside of being challenged. Uh, and, and when you uh, create a parenting culture that, that is challenge adverse and, and risk-adverse as well, but challenge-adverse and discipline-adverse, it doesn't create good character in well, aggregate. It, a- above and beyond the gender issue, it, it creates a bunch of uh, victimhood-leaning, um, demanding, uh, consumer-oriented individuals that then go off to college, and then you have this big college culture I, I of, think, of... I Conesman. think we
1: have... What you're taking away, again, I, I'm very keen on the word boundaries. I think it's really yeah. important... That, that people have boundaries. It, it, and,
0: and you, So you are you, and I just want to bring it up because mm-hmm. you need to distinguish this. You are you against these rigid categories, but you are you for boundaries. Uh, there's oh, kind of absolutely. a tension
1: there. You need boundaries. If you, if you want freedom, you have to have structure. You cannot have freedom without structure because that's chaos and anarchy, and it's not real. That's not real freedom. So, for a child, as as the adult, see, so I think this is complete ab- abnegation of adult responsibility towards children, because you need to 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 state the boundaries and you need to say this is the parent's job or the adult's job, and this is the child's, so the child can get on with being doing the child's job, which is being a child and growing up and learning and playing. Um, and if we if we follow the child, and you hear this a lot, you know, oh, I, I learn from my children. Like, there's, you know, such wise creatures. Then you're taking away what the child will always do is try to find the boundary. So the child will push and push and push and push. And parents who are thinking well, we must listen to the child, negotiate with the child, let let the child take part in decision making, that is not kind or, or nice parenting. Because it makes the child not know where that boundary is and have to keep looking, in the... and what we're doing is we're we're ending up tiptoeing around children to let them be who they are, uh, and we're treating them like uh, like despots. You know, we're, hmm. we're treating hmm. them as if they are, um, you know, royalty. dictators yeah. and royalty, and therefore yeah. they become that because that's how they've been treated and so mm-hmm. that's what they know and so yeah I, I think it's a very i mean you need balance you need to listen to children more than we used to when you know mm-hmm. when i was a child children weren't listened to
0: <laughs> no 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 they were so, seen go, not heard or something you need, like that. yeah
1: you need to take you know you need to, to to listen it's really important and and i think you know there's there's good things i think we we nurture Perhaps closer relationships with our children now, but I, mm-hmm. you have to have a balance. you have to have the structure and the boundaries in there as well yeah. and you have it, to there's st- just the there 's a tension
0: between there 's a tension between um, it 's almost as if these gender categories or these identity categories are kind of offloading the responsibility of the parents setting boundaries there 's just some sort of uh, conceptual tension between arguing against uh, identity category of gender, but arguing for boundaries. Like when, when you're talking about boundaries, you're talking about behavior, you're talking about character, you're talking about who the person is holistically. When you're talking about a category of uh, uh, of just saying, well, if if a kid acts like this, then they're either this sex or that sex, or this gender or that gender, and we should facilitate whatever they want to realize their identity, but not really uh, challenge them so that they can maximize their individuality, maximize their ability to act in the world rather than be seen as something in the world. I'm, I'm just riffing on that because there's uh, some sort of weird kind of tension in that.
1: Uh, yeah, and I think the parents are treating the child, char- when mean, they're treating the children as adults for a start, they're expecting the child to have an adult level of understanding and mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm
1: it's not just understanding or maturity, it's life experience, you know. So I I think sometimes I hear people um, use the term child abuse. And I think um, I try to stay away from uh, uh, making those kind of judgments. But, But what I do think is that it is a form of child abuse to treat a child as not a child. <laughs> you know, childhood should be a protected status. We have moved a long way in recognising the importance of the status of childhood. We don't send children down mines or up chimneys anymore because we recognise that they're not, you know, they're, they're children. So we protect children more, uh, you know, now as a class, as a as a distinct class. This is a period of childhood, and that status is protected. And if you don't. Uh, respect that because what we're taking away from children is respect for that for their actual status in the world so when we're saying to a boy you're a girl we may be talking about gender because we've denied sex but for the boy it's not it's sex even though he doesn't know the, the word yet or don't really know what it what it means he's literally become the opposite sex in reality mm. in his mind so he's not talking about gender he doesn't understand queer theory you know, he, he's, mm-hmm. he doesn't t- understand about social constructs and, and abstract ideas, and he just trusts the adults that he's meant to trust. Mm-hmm. And adults mm-hmm. don't lie. You know, this is another part of the social contract we have with, with children. Adults don't, you know, good adults don't lie to children. We don't mm-hmm. tell lies. I mean, we, we we might sort of to protect them or, or you know, we change things to, uh, um, but, but we, we, we sort of, preach the importance of honesty, of being truthful, mm-hmm. and children know that the trusted adults will be straight with them, what well, they should do, that, uh, and they will tell them the truth. Bad adults will lie to them, and those are the adults that we need to warn children about, because some bad adults will tell them lies.
0: Um, but if our culture bit, is designed around lying about the reality of sex, the reality and inevitability of puberty, uh then our entire culture becomes
1: Well based just on t- to tell a boy he's a girl is a lie. That's it's a lie. It's, he's not. He's a boy. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like it's it's you know it really is as simple as that. And you shouldn't lie to children and you shouldn't lie to them about something that is so fundamentally important um, in their, in who they are, in their, not who, what they are. Because, you know, I keep hearing, um, you know, we affirm him for who he is and, and the school's guidance is always saying, you know, about it's important to uh, be who, who you really are. And, and it's, you know your sex is not who you are it's what you are you know a girl you're a girl it's what mm-hmm. you are it's not who you are it's not part of your personality' it's, that's what it's become you know girl the words girl and boy now mean personality types yeah, yeah. stereotyped personality types that's what yeah. they mean the meaning's yeah. been changed
0: there's a whole nest of confusion that we've now entered into with all these different categories all these different labels um, the pursuit of uh, lifting up the marginal has kind of o- overstepped itself and, and by that I mean if you look at who is most negatively affected or which groups are most negatively affected by the affirmation only model of uh, dealing with uh, gender dysphoria or just the trans umbrella uh, women are the category of women is most negatively affected and then the category of the homosexual or the yes. a- the actual women actual homosexuals yeah. are the ones yeah. who are, are most negatively affected
1: so in yeah. the adult world yeah it's women and gays yeah absolutely because when, when you were raised sex you were raised women when you were raised sex you were raised same-sex attraction uh, I know it's just, it's, but with children the the negatively effective so yes pre-gay mm. and lesbian children um but also autistic kids, kids mm-hmm. with mental health problems uh, or various <laughs> neurological disorders, um, mm-hmm. tr- kids who suffered trauma, kids with difficult family backgrounds, chaotic backgrounds, uh, kids from care homes, kids who suffered sexual abuse, and this is their way of dealing with it. So you're getting all of these most vulnerable, vulnerable kids are being pulled into this as would be expected that they are more vulnerable to actually being groomed and, and i see what's happening online as a, as, as a form of grooming and it's certainly indoctrination i hear all the time you can't make a child trans you know that's you're either trans or you're not mm. i, I and one thing is it would well, trans doesn't mean anything so that's sort of meaningless statement it, anyways, i was just but, watching a video
0: yeah. on detransition where somebody said that the only people who detransition were were cis people who thought they were trans and yeah. like it completely demolished yeah. the whole argument because it's not based on anything other than self-assertion that is forever I- until it's not then it's retroactively and and you see that in the way in which uh Elliot page was treated came out uh as trans and mm-hmm. the entire internet erased her her entire history and renamed it, recast it as his. So it has such an enormous amount of power, this narrative, or or going along with this narrative, being only affirming, uh, Mm -hmm. disallowing any sort of criticism, or categorizing all criticism all skepticism as bigotry or as, as some form of uh, light Phophobia. evil or phobia or something like that, some mm-hmm. sort of condition of society. Whenever we started allowing that one little removal from reality, that one step away from reality, it cascades across all of culture and all of our narrative uh, ability to talk about reality is affected. It, it tugs one, one little thread and it unravels a tremendous part of our cultural fabric just from that one, one removal from reality and mm-hmm. language.
1: We've changed the logic of how the world works. We well, we tried. yeah change changed the rules. And
0: one lie leads to another lie leads to another and, lie. And,
1: and also, it it, it it absolutely demands the uh, sort of collusion of all of us. You cannot have a trans person if yeah. that person isn't affirmed you you can't it doesn't exist without other people's affirmation from outside and use of pronouns from people when they're talking about you when you're not there otherwise you don't exist none of it's true unless other people um uh, create help create well other people are creating you mm-hmm. uh, it, mm-hmm. you know so it involves it also involves all relationships so i'm you know, I have to say now I have a brother rather than I have a sister. I I think the um you know, or I, I have to say I'm a lesbian, I'm a, I married you know, I married a man, but now I I'm I married to a woman and I'm a lesbian. It changes all our everybody else's relationships. And that really came up with the um Freddie McConnell, the the, the the trans man woman who gave birth. And uh wanting to change the birth certificate well you you're you're actually changing another human being's identity documents. So the rights of this you start off with the uh, you know uh, I mean to me unbelievable right that you can actually change your de- birth certificate to say you were born the opposite sex. I can't get over that. how, how did that how, how is that right? how is that how did that ever happen? But once you do that as you say, then there is is a cascade. Well, if I if my birth certificate says that I was born male and I've just given birth to this child, I demand that on my child's birth certificate I am listed as the father. Of course, you know that's the next logical step. It wasn't th- thought through, was it? In, in in terms of you know our Gender Recognition Act of two thousand and four, it, w- it just was not thought through. Uh, I mean I don't think many people knew about it to, yeah. you know at the time there wasn't yeah. there wasn't a public consultation about this most critical piece of legislation that has had mm. this impact nobody knew about it or or a few actually I know I know there a few lesbian feminists knew about it and I think tried to warn the rest of us and nobody was listening so we've got uh, yeah the lesbians are always on it first because they, start, <laughs> well, they are because they, they, you know, they are sort of lesbians are always bottom of the pile, aren't they? They're female and they're same sex attracted, so they sort of fall into two categories. Um, yeah,
0: you said something. You made a very strong statement earlier about your work being done after <laughs> My your, work uh, is done. Yes. <laughs> so could, could um, you could you uh, qualify that? Um, okay. Could, kind of to bring us where are we now? Where is the conversation from your perspective going, or the, 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 the this okay. issue going?
1: So when I when I started, I wanted you know I had, I had about five aims, and you know. Um, I think this year, it's two big ones. It's uh, so changing the Department for Education schools guidance was a massive achievement. It's the first. It's the first step. But it, the the UK Department for Education now says that children shouldn't be encouraged to believe that if they don't sex stereotypes, they they have a different gender identity or they're you know it's born in the wrong body. So though and those kinds of materials shouldn't be going into schools. There's a lot of work to do, but we got that. And um, the next step was Kira Bell and Mrs. A uh Court, High Court case started the case started by Sue Evans. Um and so I was an intervener in that case and um, played so played played a role in it and I think uh, you know it was a fairly significant role um, that uh, that my intervention brought in the cultural context of what you know and and the fact that children were arriving at the clinic literally believing having been conditioned at school and on the internet everywhere these girls are arriving at the test stop really actually believing they literally are boys and the havistock operates from within that same ideology and doesn't challenge them on it so you can't say that these kids are fully informed because nobody's saying to them gender identity is one idea of gender do you know there's lots of different ideas about and understandings of gender this is just one of them and and, and teenage girls don't even get the feminist theory of gender and sex they're not you know so this you know even the information from their own sex is not given to them so that all other information is withheld and it's like gender identity is true we have this innate sense of being so uh so so yeah but but so my my evidence was was based on cultural context of youtube videos and and schools guidance so i took part in the case and uh stonewall and mermaids both also applied to intervene and in fact what we what we had to do was um we had to submit our full witness statements and our full evidence bundles in order to be either uh, given permission or 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 refused permission to intervene so we did that. It was a lot of work. It was a month of work. Big, massive, massive. This is, you know, this year. And so and, you, you
0: um, basically collated everything that you had learned and worked with other people to put together a, a brief or, or just a massive amount of argumentation uh, well, yeah, and well, fact and everything uh, well, you Actually, it was
1: everything that I'd learned over my. <laughs> Uh, you know, so it was. It was all based on the culture that girls are growing up in, the difference between girls and boys. But I, I didn't. It wasn't just about girls. I focused on girls because it was Kira. Uh, mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. but I I but also brought in the other vulnerable groups. So the judges granted permission on the basis that it was potentially relevant to the case, and I think it really was. I think I, th- I think it did play a significant part. Because I think you need that cultural understanding to see when you're talking about informed consent and what children are consenting to. You need to have have that sort of cultural background. I think it's helpful. So I, I was thrilled. Great, you know that's and I, I. But Stonewall and Mermaids were refused permission,
0: and and this is so. Didn't they like not? They didn't. They didn't bring what they were supposed to bring, or they didn't.
1: Well, they didn't meet the deadline. They didn't meet the second. They were given so many chances um, because I saw a bit of stuff on Twitter, which was suggesting that the judges were transphobic or, or, you know, deliberately not allowing them in. They bent over backwards to let them get their stuff in on time. They, they you know, they didn't do it, but also their evidence was, well, we all know what Stonewall say we all know what mermaids say it it's ideology it's but it, it and it's victimizing it's these kids will commit suicide these kids are bullied hate crime human rights the right to an identity all this stuff and and, and on each point the judge would, would would say well that's either it's already been presented in evidence because that's the other thing you you, you In an intervention, you can't repeat evidence that's already before the court, you know, in the witness statements. It has to be completely new. You have to bring something completely new. So this was either repeating um, evidence that was already before the court from the Tavistock or it was evidence that was irrelevant to the case. So the human rights aspect, for example that's a different case that's a different court case this this was not a case about human rights it was a case about informed consent of children
0: okay, okay. so so basically what, the question for this case was are children able to give informed consent to medicalize their bodies for, for the the
1: specific treatment of puberty blockers
0: okay and that okay.
1: pathway yeah okay. and so I, I and this really i think this is this was massive because we're this little, um, you know. I'm, we don't get funding. We do crowd funders. We we don't get funded by any organisations, government. Uh, I, you know, we don't get funding. It's a very so David and do...
0: Goliath situation. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're yeah. Talking about so, the so you've got these mermaids government... and tra- Tavistock has millions well, of dollars. Mermaids
1: so and yeah, and, and stone so Government funded. All these charities fund them. I, you know. Uh, uh lots of foundations and you know they get fun they keep massive massive funding massive um uh um you know they've got a lot of people working for them they've got a yeah. lot of people doing proper yeah. jobs i i haven't <laughs> i've got you've know, got someone who does the website someone who answers the emails so you know I've got some great people, but i haven't got a sort of you know i haven't got employees. <laughs> Because, you know, we, we really we, it's been a real struggle, a real struggle to put you know to, to carry to carry on doing this financially. I see myself as an advocacy group for all children who don't fit sex stereotypes, all the odd kids like I was, all the ones who are the outsiders, the ones who get left out, the ones who get bullied the slightly vulnerable kids, the ones with mental health issues The you know i I really feel like I I get those kids. I feel like when I, you know, I was quite, um, felt very different and outside the group when I was a child. And um, so I see myself as like an advocacy group for those kids. Hmm. And I did it. I, I spoke up for those kids. I went in there and I put together that intervention and I did it properly and I got it. Now, Stonewall and Mermaids are advocating for so-called trans kids and their line is if these kids don't get puberty blockers they'll commit suicide so that's really really serious isn't it they these kids are actually more likely to kill themselves if they don't get this treatment and yet they couldn't even get their act together to put together a proper intervention and come in and save those kids hmm. like why are they why are they, <laughs> Why are they still there? They failed those kids. On, the, on their terms, if they're mm-hmm. saying it's that serious, that a child might kill themselves if they don't get them, they have absolutely no excuse. They should have got into that courtroom and with their evidence. So either,
0: uh, either they they oh. didn't take it seriously or they didn't actually believe or they didn't have what it takes to back up their claims. Well, I mean, we, this is all conjecture they, at this point.
1: Well, the thing is, they don't oh. have the evidence. The, 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 didn't have. The whole case raced on, re, you know, rested on the fact that there isn't the evidence to prove what they're saying. There is, the, you know, you need evidence. and they do, So no, Stonewall and Mermaids have never had the evidence and they've never been asked for it before. Or they have. But... They don't respond with evidence. They respond with emotional blackmail. You know, poor trans kids, they will take their own lives. So Mm. they've never been held to account. And so they're not practised. Whereas me, I have to justify absolutely everything I say. I have to back it up. And I've always been very careful about doing this because I don't want to be pushing another ideology or or pushing another point of view. I want to be speaking from reality and saying actually the evidence doesn't suggest that and i i try to be really really because of course i have my own biases um so i try to be very very careful on how i look at research and 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 be you know uh, balanced and and try try to be as objective as any one human being can be um but i have had i have you know i've spent year five years having to prove what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, under um, probably <laughs> significant pressure and and push oh, yeah, yeah. and vilification yeah, yeah. And, uh, and perhaps even abuse too uh,
1: and i and i and i do think that's online-wise. you know that's fair enough if you're making a claim you need to be able to back it up with evidence i do believe that and and i'm I, i've always been very careful to do that um uh, you know i'm sure i've made mistakes but i you know that's what i that's what i aim for but they have never had to do that they have never ever had to back up their claims and their massive claims a man is a woman mm-hmm. you know um children will take their own lives these these are huge and serious and uh you know big claims they're making but they've never had to back them up so they they, they didn't have the practice and and it's just the i think it's just arrogance they always get their own way and i i and to come up so so this was part for me this was a massive um vindication of of, of the work that i that i've done and uh so so for me personally so i'm talking all about me and not about kira and sue evans and, and mrs a and just the true heroes of the case but i was just very um pleased to have have, have played a role in it
0: and mm-hmm. Um, and what, what what do you see as the outcome of this uh, decision then?
1: I think it will change things globally it has to. So you've already seen WPATH put out their statement full of the the usual claims that they could not back up those claims in a court of law. I mean that's that has been shown. If the evidence was there the Tavistock would have brought, would have produced it. They didn't. They haven't got it. Um, So W Path are continuing along their ideological path of making claims, but not backing them up with any evidence, claiming that the evidence is there, but it's not. Because the High Court looked at all of the evidence that was presented to them by both sides. And you know that the Tavistock would have defended their position to win as much as they possibly could. They failed. They didn't mm-hmm. have the evidence. That's been decided in a court of law. So it's like, game over.
0: Well, and, you know, and how does that change the way in which, uh, let's just say, Tavistock will be treating children who arrive with uh, gender confusion or gender
1: Well, the, the NHS has already said that like, there's no more puberty blockers. Nobody's, you know, even children who are on puberty blockers now each case case must be assessed and okay. n- that,
0: from what i understand it it doesn't stop puberty blockers from being given to children but it has no. to go through some sort of uh it has the court has to decide how does a judge have the ability to make a medical decision though isn't that kind of well, shaky
1: i don't I, i'm not sure i think judges do in 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 sort of medical cases all the time, you know, in 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 a in a in a, fa- in a family court. I think though you know that it is part of of what the system hmm. does. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a judge. I'm not. I don't know how that works. But I think what it does is it means that we have to. It's forcing the clinicians and the NHS, the medical profession, to to retake responsibility. Okay, to do, so to do no harm because it, it means makes,
0: it makes them more responsible for the decisions. The doctors have to actually substantiate under under mm-hmm. oversight the they claims to, and then their yeah, path of. Treatment. They
1: have to be able to say. I believe that this treatment is in the best interests of this child. And when you're saying best interests, you must include best long-term interests. And one of the big things that came out of this case was the long-term really, really detrimental impacts on children's life, future adult lives, which they could not possibly understand the significance of at that age. So things like the, well, fertility for one, the loss of fertility, the potential loss of sexual function, inability to orgasm. Well, unless you know what that's like, you don't know what you're missing. But, you Mm. you know, it's like we don't take those things away from these. I think these are basic human rights. We're not letting children grow up into adults. In other words, if we take away their sex, which we are, if we block their puberty and then put them on to cross-sex hormones, they're never going through puberty. Essentially, we're keeping them as children. It's mm-hmm. like a new version of a human being, an adult who has never been through puberty because those cross-sex hormones are the wrong hormones for that child's body. That's what the, they're, they're not the opposite sex puberty. They're, they're, they're creating um, superficial uh, appearance of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. find that absolutely bizarre that we could take away a child's puberty and expect a child to still grow into an adult. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so um, what it means is that clinicians will have to say, I truly believe this is in the, this child, this particular child. I truly believe. Oh, the other thing is, is long-term relationships. The sex matters. Sex is important. For sexual, rela- sexual and romantic relationships. If you're a male heterosexual, the lowest bar is she's got to be female. You know, that's let's set the bar really low. She's got to be female. <laughs> that's like your baseline, and then mm-hmm. you know, whatever your particular preferences are, how attractive she is, how whatever. But the first, you know, the first bar is she's got to be female, not male. <laughs> I, I, I You know, so if you look at sexuality, it's gonna you you cut down your potential. You know, part part partner, your partner pool, um, yeah, yeah by such a lot uh and 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 the difficulty then of finding a lifetime partner your your fertility's impacted your you know um it's it's just unimaginable for a child to understand how much those things are important for future life because you're not thinking about future relationships when you're a child mm-hmm. you know i remember mm-hmm. when you know way into probably my early 20s, I never wanted children. I never wanted to get married. I didn't want to live that sort of conventional lifestyle at all. You've got to grow up before you really... Things become important to you at different stages of your life. Mm-hmm. And fertility is the last thing on your mind when you're 15 or, you know, most for mm-hmm. most kids. Mm-hmm. You... These things have no meaning for you at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I get getting back to the k- clinician... Now they have to say, yeah, I think it's worth going to the court. I will fight for this child to get this treatment because I truly believe that the other options are worse, that this child will benefit more with making this choice than the other way. And I truly, okay. they will have to think and they have to go and they will have to do some therapeutic work with these kids to see what's going on and uncover the reason that they came to this um, a belief about themselves in the first place because unless we help explore the meanings of, of what these kids are saying and help them to explore the meanings of what they're thinking and believing all we're doing is 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 really we're doing sort of cosmetic surgery on kids because some older trans activists are saying oh it would have been I would be much happier if I'd be able to transition and have puberty blockers because then I wouldn't have this Adam's apple and this. I, I I think we've been led by an awful lot of older, mostly male activists who have probably fathered their own children, enjoyed their fertility and their relationships all their life and now look back and say, oh yeah, but if I was, uh, you know, if I was a, a little child now, I, w- I would, Really want puberty blockers because then I'd look more like a woman, and I say "You have no idea." So we're, we're we're sacrificing biological function, um, uh, and and for for, for a superficial appearance, for the mm-hmm. designer body, for the trans child. You know, they yeah. are, and they they are they're poster children. You know, they are. We've. Created this sort of weird new category of of a sort of social child star with 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 trans kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and so I guess we have yet to see how this is going to cascade out. It, the The decision just came through. Okay, uh, yeah, can't even remember yep. the date, but it was just a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. but at least in your area in the united kingdom or on your tiny little island off the uh, coast of france there mm-hmm. uh things things are going in a different
1: yeah scott scotland's holding out scotland with their their gender clinic the sandy they they're saying we'll still give puberty blockers but um the 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 um in england and wales the 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 judgment is about the treatment itself so you shouldn't be able to get it from private providers so yeah as i say it changes everything it changes everything there's no point in socially transitioning a child anymore the whole thing falls apart when Hmm. puberty blockers have had such a key part in this and so um Hmm. so then it comes to schools and you think all of the policies in schools are based on affirmation. Uh, Again, without any question, without any evidence to support it, because affirmation is an activist-led approach. It's not a clinical approach. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet we've brought this into schools, and schools guidance is actually saying that in biology, children should be taught that most, but not all, boys have a penis, and most, but not all, girls have a vulva. Right Right from the start. And if... Uh, the most the guidance that's all over the uh, certainly in england and wales again um is called the all sorts guidance and it says in there has a little case scenario of the parents saying my daughter feels uncomfortable getting in- changed in front of a boy what if he looks at her body and the advice for the teacher to save to the parent, to the parent and the child is to point out that he is not a boy, that he's he's a girl, that he may have been, I think they say, assigned male at birth, but in all yeah. other respects he is she is a girl. It's the most extreme self-ID system in schools that once a boy becomes a girl in language, and, and he's only a girl in language, nothing else once he becomes a girl in language then he gets to use single sex facilities he gets to be treated as if he's an adult with a gender recognition certificate he gets treated as a member of the female sex so this is the policies these are the policies that have been in schools and um so i think these these policies we have to you know the next step is we look at well, children can't get puberty blockers anymore. What's leading them to puberty blockers? Affirmation at the youngest mm-hmm. ages and affirmation, you know, in the teenage years for the rapid onset um, dysphoria kids who are coming up, mostly girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to look at that whole policy that we put into schools with absolutely no question and say, well, we better, you know, we've got to look at the whole lot. I always mm-hmm. felt like pu- if puberty blockers fall, the whole the house of cards comes tumbling down. I think this is a m- massive, massive medical scandal. We will, uh, you know, I could cry. I sometimes do. I feel this really deeply. I care about kids. And when I see adults treating kids badly, I, I think I still, I think it's just, you know, I, I, I'm still a kid, really. I relate to kids. And... um so it does genuinely really, really upset me what we've been doing to children's healthy bodies. To, we've been, you know, I, I cannot believe that this has been going on and been accepted. I feel very, very, very deeply about it. Um, and so, I've, so, so, yeah, puberty blockers. I wanted to stop medicalising uh, nonconformity. Stop mm-hmm. telling children that in order to be who they really are, they need to be on a lifetime of medication. The medical profession will help you be who you really are. That is bollocks. You know, that's, hmm. that's what you need to tell, say to children. Do not do anything to yourself that means you'll have to go to hospital. Do not do anything to yourself that means you have to take bloody pills and tablets or injections like hmm. an old person all your life can you imagine the freedoms that you're giving up it's like have you got a mate who's diabetic who has to inject insulin and do you feel sorry for you know it's it's a tough thing for a young person to have to be on medication why make yourself into an old person stop it you do not have to have any form of medical intervention to be who you really are the whole idea is 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 just bizarre to me so when I started I thought yeah, I want to get, I want to stop that. I want to stop all that. So I, I've worked in, you know, in my areas, uh, health, education and, and any legislation applying at kids,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and kids mm-hmm. and young people, because I don't want to forget the 17, 18, 19, 20 years. That, that's a very vulnerable, vulnerable group who I think we've still really got to look at how that group is, is treated, because they sort of slip through the net and get no, mm-hmm. no sort of, no degree of therapeutic support at all they're just instantly affirmed and off you go but for younger kids we've got up to even the 16 you know that court judgment even the 16 and 17 year olds even though they're presumed to be able to give informed consent the clinicians must even with that group um uh uh, um, look at if you know look applying to court before Mm -hmm. Giving this medication, mm-hmm. so it's a and, massive.
0: And just to reiterate that going through the process of the court forces the therapists and the doctors and the endocrinologists as well to substantiate their claims and to provide perhaps other options, or at least to test and to challenge the claims of the patient of the child, mm. and and just kind of just substantiate this and and provide some sort of gatekeeping, some sort of filter, some sort of uh, options uh, contrary to just affirmation and just medicalization.
1: Yeah. and The thing about a court is that it's objective. It looks at the evidence. It's really, really clear. And what was so, what really hit me at the two-day hearing in, in Kira's case was that the evidence presented, you know, all the evidence from both sides. It was so stark what was happening, and 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 this is again, it's the language. The language, the ideological language, covers up what the reality is. I think that's part of its purpose because we use language to communicate, or we, we 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 use language to to either conceal or reveal. You know, mm-hmm. and this is real language used Texting. to conceal. Yeah. and it what it in the court i can't tell you how um it was such a unique experience because you're always hearing gender assigned at birth and gender identity and the right to and be who you really are and 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 uh all of, all of this ideological and, yeah. language all the yeah. time yeah. in the court there was none of it transgender no you know nothing none of that ideological language was in there so what we were down to is a 10-year-old girl who doesn't like her periods and blocking her puberty is the only treatment. I thought, what? Wow. You know, a 10-year-old girl who's got her periods has started puberty at age nine or something. She's one of the ones who's at the top, you know, the, the, the top year of primary school, developing mm-hmm. breasts and menstruating, absolutely hates it. Suddenly she's not a child and all her mates still are. She hates the. I, I just remember this: the judge saying, I, I, "And what's the alternative treatment?" Oh, there isn't any. And, I, I, and so, the stark reality of, of of what we're doing to these kids really uh, hit me so hard because nobody was saying, "Well, he's a transgender boy, and he feels that you know, and 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 and, and the body that." doesn't match his gender identity is developing and making him very distressed. None of that. Hmm.
0: I think, I think. Um, again, this issue uh, about gender, uh, this issue about trans kids, uh, this one issue encapsulates so much about our society and our society's relationship to truth. This is one area in which activist language uh, that is that is purposed not to describe reality but to change reality towards a certain group's outcome. Uh, the, the meddling around with our relationship with reality through language and through activism has a tremendous consequence uh, for for children and for all of society. Mm-hmm. This one issue is a is a flashpoint in that, but it also affects the, the, the activist push to change language is is operating on other domains. It's operating in science uh, by means mm-hmm. of of inner Sectionality and all these other things, uh, with regards to gender, brings to light just how powerful truth and lies are in covering up how things are actually, you know, how the sausage is being made to produce Mm -hmm. this desired outcome that you can't talk about, that you can't critique, that you can't be skeptical about, even Mm -hmm. uh, without, uh, you know, uh, receiving uh, harassment or or, other other forms of punishment. So uh, this one thing has consequences uh, and it, it brings to light a lot of other issues that, that our society is going through
1: yeah there's a lot of you know you can see how the trans um agenda is affecting the world of science and it, it is we, we have to have a you know i feel we again with children it pulls the rug of reality out from under children that you cannot mm-hmm. you cannot uh, uh understand you know at an age when children don't really are still learning the difference between fantasy and reality anyway mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if there's nothing stable then it's it, it's chaos and life becomes mm-hmm. chaos and i think with the erasure of the female sex and the, the you know so all of this um, even in school's guidance talking about menstruators and non-menstruators i mean that's mm-hmm. in a guidance in in sex and relationships education by these sort of most established provider in the UK. Mm. And um, all of this denial of, you know, as soon as you say that a boy is a girl, you've redefined all the other girls in the class. You have said that a girl is not a member of the female sex. So your your most fundamental personal rooted in the body reality has been taken away from you. And suddenly you're looking at this boy with a penis and he's a girl so what is it that makes him a girl when he hasn't got that other stuff that you've got and therefore if that makes him a girl what makes me a girl well I must have some of that stuff as well Mm. so he he almost becomes the real girl because he's got some magical indefinable invisible quality that makes him a girl what is it and and so you're you are. That's it. if you redefine one person, you redefine every other human being around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or yeah, if you if you re- redefine one category, you, you automatically you redefine the other. Mm-hmm. And so the, these girls now must sort of aspire to be a girl on his terms, because hmm. he's got the secret. He he knows. You know it, it's so. it yeah. Which is why you see. I mean, I think girls. Tend to do this anyway, and are sort of brought up to do this, uh, uh, socialised into doing this. But looking after uh, other people's needs, and particularly looking after the boys, you know, sort of uh, flattering them and and being and you and and um, so the trans girl becomes like the star girl in in the school, and the boring old cis girls. Mm. <laughs> oh, you know, that, that's that that's the. um that's the narrative, isn't it? Yeah. But yes, yeah. that's uh, that's yeah. the implicit to do, do that yeah. to girls. I think you know you're taking away their reality. You're taking away their embodied sex, and I and in the language, the 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 erasure of women. The word woman. If the, the word woman now, you have to use it if you're talking about a rapist in a prison who identifies as a woman you you know the newspaper headlines he's a woman he he raped a woman with with her penis you know he this is what we're getting in the newspapers
0: mm-hmm.
1: you have to call a rapist a woman because it's transphobic not to you so that's when you must use the word woman you must not use the word woman if it relates in any way to something that is uh fe- but to do female, with fe- female.
0: Yeah. so you, must you have, have to talk about pregnant
1: that. Pregnant people, chest yeah. feeders, uterus, have menstruators. So yeah. you see where this is going. The men are the real okay. women now. Already, all, you know, already the, the, the rapist with the penis is a woman. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the pregnant, that pregnant the woman is, just is
0: a, has the pregnant a one contingency a, of this biological function. The
1: pregnant yeah. one is a person.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Not a woman. We can't say yeah. it. Yeah. So you've taken, you know, but I, when I think about the girls growing up now and I, I, uh, this generation of girls, I, you know, th- I think this is um, massive psychological e- existential damage and harms being caused to this generation of girls. Um, and it's, you know, I ta- going back when I wrote this, mm-hmm. the, the article, Um, the transgender experiment on kids. I wasn't just talking about the medical experiment. I was talking about the social and psychological experiment on kids because we've never done this to kids before. We've never said black is white and helped them to, you know, force them to believe it as well. We've never done this. We wrote
0: cautionary tales that we still require them to read in some places. About doing that. But w- while we're living it out on another level, in, in mm. the pursuit of uh, in the pursuit of some sort of ideal uh, that, that uh, for some reason, is more important than reality—fairness, yeah. uh, uh, acceptance, uh, mm. visual, uh, yeah, makeup and mm. recognition.
1: When I started out, what I wanted to do, uh, which was to stop the medical experimentation on children and and the psychological and social experiment on children in schools, so those are the two areas, and most of. The resources I produced have been for schools because that's where, you know, once it's in schools and children are being taught this from the early years, you know, that it re- is real indoctrination because this is an idea; it's not a fact, but it's being taught as fact, and that's that's wrong. That's that's bad to do that to children. So, I, so I focused on on schools, and then worked, you know, also in health as well. But I I never imagined um, that it would um, happen so quickly. I think I thought, well, it'll be maybe 10 years down the line and we'll get somebody suing the NHS. So how this has happened with Kira, who is just an amazing, so, so brave to do that. It's so hard to stand up and say I made a mistake. You know, the, when I think back to the sort of mistakes I made when I was a teenager uh, and how you can still cringe at, you know, and you think, well, thank goodness there was no internet then or it wasn't recorded or it didn't <laughs> yeah. cause any long-term <laughs> harm. And here is somebody who at that age, it's a massive thing to stand up and say, I made a really stupid mistake and she knows she's going to be attacked. She knows she's going to be attacked by trans activists. She's been extremely um, courageous and she's an amazing, brilliant young woman and she's really done it for... The kids coming up behind, all the lesbians, the autistic kids, or the girls, or the and, and boys. I think I think there's a bit of rapid onset gender dysphoria going on in boys as well, from what I hear from parents, particularly the autis- autistic boys. Um, so she's done a massive thing, um, and uh, but I, I I'm almost still. Processing it because I think well, this wasn't meant to happen yet. It's happened a lot quicker than I mm. thought. It. Mm-hmm.
0: I thought it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I. I guess mm-hmm. you know. I thought
0: I'll be going. Well, it, it can't come any soon enough. insofar as it uh, slows down the process of medicalizing uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children who don't necessarily need that in their lives. Uh, to, yeah. to put it as mildly as possible, it it can't uh, oversight and skepticism. Uh, insofar as it saves uh, lives um, and and saves livelihoods, uh, can't come fast enough. And and I think that the cultural uh, headwinds might be shifting because of the overreach of the activists, Um, at least their their certain radical contingent online and the way that they have been acting. Um, People can only take so much of that yeah. Abuse uh, and overreach, and then uh, I know a lot of news programs in the states are now uh, unable to ignore it any any longer, and and looking into what happened, what's happening in schools. Abigail Schreier's book and Deborah yes. Sills' book both have brought a lot yep. to light, and yep. they have been they've you know tried to be stamped out. A lot of people have tried to delist yes. their books, which yep. has made it even more uh, visible. So yeah. it, it might be the case that um, a better understanding of what transgender is and and it needs to be questioned and gender dysphoria or something related to physical reality needs to be the cornerstone of building the identity of trans and then building how society adapts and accepts people who fall in that category. Yeah.
1: there needs can to proceed. be much more and it's, it's, it's like i think the difference is that we are saying boys are literally girls and girls are literally boys and that's what we haven't done before i think in the past we would say a child may uh uh make a decision which i think has to be a really actually a child can't i think you have to be in your mid-20s mm-hmm. when your brain's fully formed but may decide i i i want to live socially as a woman now I don't I don't understand why you know I don't think you have to call yourself a woman to live in a role that you want to live in I think you should be able to live and be accepted but it's a a completely different thing or we'd say about children so children have gender dysphoria some will persist and some will desist and for some it may be a transsexual outcome in adulthood but it's an outcome it's not a state of childhood and so we you know we we need to be looking at the way that the clinical has become the political and we've politicized Mm -hmm. the child Mm -hmm. and we've said that you know to call a child transgender is, is a political statement it's it's not a clinical statement it's not a you know, it's, it's a meaningless statement, really. It just covers up a lot. And well,
0: it's the most social of all the constructs on the table at that point.
1: Well, it, 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 this is what really makes me laugh. They're saying biological sex is a social construct, but gender identity isn't. Yeah, <laughs> That's real. Yeah. We haven't made that up recently yeah. in history. Yeah. That's yeah. real and concrete yeah. exists. I mean, you know, it's it it just falls apart so so much. But it's a different. It's I think it's a different issue. You know, to live as a transsexual, to live as a transsexual man. That's the words there describe what the situation is. But to call that man a woman, to call you know, is we're we're calling Eddie Izzard is a woman. This man that likes to wear nail varnish sometimes and go into the ladies' toilets. I mean, it's just bizarre Mm. or 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 Mm -hmm. or men like Mm -hmm. pips bunts who's a man on tuesdays and a and a woman on wednesdays if you accept one bit of this you have to accept every bit so if if a woman is just a feeling it's very it's perfectly possible to be a man on wednesdays and a woman on tuesdays and thursdays Mm -hmm. perfectly Mm -hmm. possible
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're you're The dependency that uh, young people experience uh, by this ideology, unquestioned and unfettered, and and purely as it is given to us to believe, uh, they're dependent. Uh, on the medical industry, and they're also dependent on society in, in ways that they don't need to be. They have to be seen. Uh, it, it gives, it puts so much uh, of their self worth into the hands of other people. And I think that that explains a lot of the overreach or the overreaction that the activists uh, exhibit uh, about uh, you know, making these huge claims where you're denying my existence. Uh, so it, your existence should not be in your freaking pronouns. It should not be sure. in what I say about you. If it is, then your existence is built on sand or something worse. It's built on words. Yeah. You don't you don't want that. Everything is destabilized, everything is politicized. Even yeah. even the words that everybody uses. So it's it's this huge network of confusion uh, yeah. that hopefully putting a line with this case and then other things that are going to be shifting around uh, yeah. will help us bring some sort of equilibrium uh, yes. to this one thing.
1: The other thing about that sort of outside validation that, that you know the transgender person depends on the collusion of everybody else in society to create them and for children you're encouraging the, the narcissist you're encouraging the victim you're encouraging qualities that we really don't want people to have because you're saying to the child that you are at one and the same time the biggest victim in society and also the most powerful because you can change all the school policies and everybody you can dictate to everybody you can tell them what pronouns to use while you're not there what power mm-hmm. so it's such a heady mix for a, for a teenager but but it creates tyrants
0: yeah. You know, well, you, and it, it shifts it's, it's not that, a that good power way. comes with a cost, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's not a good way to bring up children <laughs> <just> to <laughs> treat them as tyrants and give them well, all this
0: power but it, when when they all become adults then who wins if if everybody's a tyrant? I mean nobody yeah. can nobody is. Everybody yeah. is just all assertion. We we uh,
1: we've um, we've failed children. We've absolutely yeah. failed the children of this generation. Yeah. And I think we'll pay for it. I think it, 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 what's ha- happening. I think we're we'll, we're creating mental health problems because uh, if you don't have a grasp of reality, if you don't have the boundaries, if you don't have the structure there, there is only chaos. And we're creating those uh, uh, quite apart from the body dissociation that we're creating with 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 saying that you're an idea in your head, you are not your body. Mm-hmm. So we are creating mental health issues, and and, and I think it's going to play out. Uh, you know, as this generation grows up in ways that we don't know yet, but we've totally failed this, you know, certainly I think over the last five years, at least probably 10, hmm. we have not been adults.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, I think um, this is a very long discussion. To publish stop. and I should probably let you go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you for all your work. You do How long
1: have we been?
0: Uh, it's been two hours.
1: Oh, my God.
0: It's almost a Joe Rogan-length uh, episode, which I try to avoid. Um, Sorry, did I talk too much? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This is actually very pertinent. And I've been following this uh, for a fraction of the amount of time that you have. And and presenting your arguments, presenting what you've gone through, presenting what you've seen, uh, really adds a lot of richness uh, to uh, the project that I've been doing, uh, just trying yeah, to collect. yeah. Different op- opinions and, and voices from on everywhere. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, which has been great yeah. to see. You know, I, so, I've watched a lot of your uh, videos, and the range of people in different views and positions and where. Yeah, it's it's a it's, uh, good good project to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I guess let's wrap it up, and then I, I have a question off camera for you. So, thank okay. you, okay. Stephanie, for thank joining you. me. And I'll end it there. Um, Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce, or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.